0: Hello yoga people and welcome to the yoga people podcast. My name is Catherine Fennessy and I am very excited because today is the first ever episode of the yoga people podcast. My guest today is Monica Lebanski a Bikram yoga instructor who is seven years sober and has been practicing yoga for seven years. In today's episode, we talk about the principles of addiction Monica's journey through addiction and recovery and how yoga has been helping her along the way. So welcome, Monica, and I'm super grateful to have you on today. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here.
1: Oh, it's it's my pleasure. I'm
0: happy to help. So before we get into your story of sobriety and finding yoga through this journey, I wanted to take a minute to talk about what it's like to be addicted to a substance, maybe paint a picture for someone who's never experienced this or never had exposure to this in their own life.
1: So it can be hard for even me to explain it because I I feel a little bit more removed from that than than I was, say, you know, one year sober, six months sober or actively in addiction. But the best way I can describe it is that, and this is actually how it is described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, is that there is a spiritual hole or a spiritual malady inside of us that craves filling of some sort. And, and that filling usually comes in the form of a substance. And so we have this hole inside of us that that needs to be filled by something. And, and we realize that, that substances will fill that hole temporarily. And, and it feels good. We feel whole in the beginning. And, and then we start to realize that this, this substance isn't quite working the way that it used to, but we have this mind that keeps saying, well, maybe if I did it this way, or if I did it at this time, or in combination with this other substance, that maybe it would work and, and fill that, that hole again. And so our mind is always taking us back to that solution worked at some point in the past. So I hope that it'll work again, In the present or or in the future. And so the mind will take us back to the substance. And there's this third piece, this physical piece, that when I do convince myself that I I need to do that substance again, or in this new way, there's this physical piece that once I put something in my body, I I physically cannot stop. And, And that's what leads me to make a decision like, oh, I'll just go out for a couple drinks. Or I'll just get, you know, a small bag of cocaine or whatever it is. And, and then suddenly once I put that into my body, it's almost like an, an allergy. And instead of like the allergy creating hives or rashes or anything like that, it just creates the need for more and more and more of that substance. Um, and I swear that back in the day, you could have hooked me up to a lie detector test when I said that I wanted to stop and I was never going to do those things again. And I probably would have passed that lie detector test because I really truly believe that it wasn't the answer and it wasn't going to work. And, and somehow those three pieces, the spiritual hole, the mental obsession to fill the hole, and then that physical allergy, they just put me in this never-ending loop.
0: That's interesting what you said about the lie detector test and wanting to stop so badly, but you couldn't. And I know that that's the basic premise of addiction, but it seems like there's this big disconnect between people who are addicts and people who haven't necessarily had that experience in their life. And it's within that space that you hear things like, well, why don't you just stop drinking? Or why don't you just stop using? And I'm curious what you think about stuff like that.
1: I think that those type of thoughts are are super common and and don't come from a place of negativity or hatred or or anything like that. I think it just comes from a place of of not understanding. And even I as an addict didn't understand addiction for a really really long time. And so I think when someone says like well why don't you quit for me or or a doctor tells you like you need to quit for your liver, or your wife or husband tell you, like, you need to quit for the children or, or for our marriage to last, or your parents say, you know, if you really loved me, you would quit. And and those things, they hurt in the moment. But I also know it's it's just because the other person loves the person that's addicted, you know, and it makes sense that if you truly wanted something you would be able to achieve it or or to make a decision and follow through but with the end stages of addiction it's it's just you don't you've lost the power of choice um, it's it's no longer up to you whether you drink or whether you use again and I do believe that there's a spectrum so I think that if I would have had some very harsh consequences early on in my addiction that I still probably had that power of choice where I, I could have changed my, my path. But I think so many of us at that point, if it hasn't progressed enough, we don't find a sufficient reason to quit because it's not that bad yet. And so it's kind of this double-edged sword or a catch-22 because once it does get that bad. I I now feel that I have lost the power of choice, whether I drink or use or not. And, And that's where most people that do have like tried and true true blue addiction, that's where they end up is they no longer have the capacity to even follow through on a promise or a request like that. So it's, I I don't think it's, I get it. Like I get when people say those things because it makes sense. You know, I I would have said that too, if I were the loved one of an addict. Um, it's, it's just, it's not really up to them anymore.
0: Hmm, Yeah. So it's like your power of choice sort of diminished over time and something else took hold over you. What do you think about our current level of understanding of addiction?
1: I, I think it's a hard thing to understand. Um, it's, it's just, I mean, we've, we still know relatively little uh, about why, you know, there's like this genetic piece, you know, where if your family has a, a history of addiction that you're most likely predisposed to addiction. And I definitely had that in my family. There's definitely like an environmental piece where if I were, in an environment where I was never introduced to drugs or alcohol, like maybe I wouldn't have flipped that switch somewhere down the road, you know? So I do think it is kind of this perfect storm, um, of possibly like, uh, nature, nurture. And, and then also, I, I know for me there's some underlying, um, like anxieties, depression, stuff like that, feelings of not being good enough. So I think all of those things tend to just come together in this perfect and like horrible way sometimes. But yeah, like, of course, in the moment, like those sayings from loved ones, like, why can't you just stop? It, it may be hurtful because everyone takes things different ways. And my thinking was so different when I was in the thick of it than it is now. So now I can look back and say like, oh, my parents just really loved me and they just wanted me to like, quote unquote, live my best life. Um, But in the moment, like I I can, uh, I can think back and like, I was so angry with them because it felt like they were trying to take away the only thing that I felt made my life worth living. So it's easier for me to say that now, like seven years removed than it it would be for me to say it back then. So I, I definitely like, if, if you do go around saying those things, be prepared to have a, a mixture of responses, depending on where that particular person is at in their journey.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I think that that's true with a lot of things that are emotionally sensitive or challenging topics that you're not able to think about what people are saying to you clearly in the moment because there's so many other emotions going on in your head clouding that But then looking back on it a few years later, or when you removed yourself from the situation, you have this realization that maybe you took
1: that the wrong way, or the person didn't mean it that way, or whatever. Absolutely. Like, I I think everything is a a growing and a maturing and an evolving process. And, um, you know, a lot of people say that people in active addiction are, you know, there's that old saying that their growth emotionally is kind of stunted around the age that they started using. And I I don't know how much I buy into that, but I I do definitely feel like it's incredible. Um, It's almost like an animal brain, you know, like all I cared about was getting more of the substance, like no matter how much I loved my parents or my significant other or whatever, like they always came second to that substance. It's like an animal that needs food, you know, it's just like it, it doesn't matter how much those other things matter, because that is the primary objective all the time.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, I think. Um, and I'm glad that I'm talking to you about this, because I feel like in this short amount of time, you've told us so much that I had never heard it put that way before. And it's, it's super enlightening to hear this coming from you. Um, so if you don't mind, if you could walk us through your journey with addiction and recovery.
1: I'll try to make this as short and sweet as possible. Um, and of course, like it's it's all a little bit of a blur. But I, I think I started like how anyone would start. And this is the interesting part is the the kids, my friends that I grew up with that started doing the same things at the same time that I did, a lot of them are like, married now and have children and are super successful and all this stuff. So I think that's where that perfect storm from earlier kind of comes into play. Like maybe they didn't have the genetic predisposition or maybe they didn't have like underlying anxiety or whatever. Um But I, I started like, I think how any other kid starts, you know, like drinking, smoking weed and, you know, high school. And once I went to college, I, I think my using just progressed so much quicker than I could have ever imagined. And so I would say by like sophomore year of college, I I had probably done every drug that there is. I was not going to class. I was not doing well in school already. Like my life had become almost unrecognizable. And it's hard for me to pinpoint like when or where that happened But I just, it it kind of shifts from like something that you do, oh, just on Friday nights or just if the, you know, situation arises where it's around, you know, to where like I'm actively seeking out those things, those people, that situation. And then suddenly, you know, a a few years into college, like I I drink first thing in the morning, Um, I'm taking pills, I'm you know, doing cocaine, I'm I'm doing everything all the time that it's humanly possible and, and suddenly like my life is unrecognizable from where it was just just a few years ago. So before I even turned 21, like before I was even legally allowed to drink, I, I had already entered my first uh long term inpatient treatment center. I, I think that was in maybe two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Um, And it didn't even stick. I, w- I was there for five months. I, I tried to go into their sober living and outpatient program afterwards. And I, I just, I wasn't ready. So I I relapsed. I went back to my old ways. I went back to even worse ways, you know, because there's kind of this like cycle of shame, you know, that comes with addiction where like, Now everyone knows, like my parents know, because I've been in treatment for five months, you know, all of my friends know, my boyfriend at the time knew. And so then it's like, well, if I do mess up, there's even more fuel on that fire to keep going because it's like, well, you know, I I failed, you know, and nothing like drives addiction more than like feelings of failure and inadequacy. So um yeah, I mean that cycle repeated like a few more times. I, I went to a few more treatment centers. Um, I relapsed every time. And, and then finally in, let's see, 2013, um, I went to my hopefully, knock on wood, final treatment center um, and, and that's where everything changed. And I don't even know why it changed then exactly. It, I think it was just my time. So there was nothing different about that final rehab center than the first few that you went to? I, I think the treatment center itself, it, it wasn't so much a difference in, I mean, the programming was slightly different. Um, it, it was a lot more intense. It was definitely like a end of the line type treatment center, Um and so I, I do think like the programming was different, but I, I still honestly think like if I hadn't been in the place I was, like I, I still could have messed it up, even though it was like a, a great center. Um, but I, I think I had gotten to this point where um, I, I really had exhausted like all of my options. And and I think that's, um, you know, people say you have to reach rock bottom. And and I think I, I can make as many bottoms as, as I want to make, you know, there had been a million times where I someone could say like, oh, surely that must be her rock bottom. Um, but you, you can just keep digging more, more and more and more. Um, but I eventually just got to a point where it was just like a weird set of circumstances. I, I was dating this much older man. We were living in a storage unit and then we temporarily were living at his mom's house and meth had become like super involved. So not only was I like a raging alcoholic, but I was also super strung out on meth and somehow just like this combination of those two substances just really beat the crap out of me. And and then this really kind of... uh icky relationship with, you know, this man twice my age, we, we got in like this big argument and he left for work and I, I just called my mom and said like, okay, I, I need something, you know, and I didn't want to go back to rehab. That was like the last thing I wanted to do because I had told myself that I had proven that it didn't work. Um, but for some reason, like the stars just aligned. And, and when I went to this last place, it, it did work.
0: And it was in this last treatment center that you took your first yoga
1: class? Yes, that that is correct. Um, It was part of their programming there that we did yoga two times a week. So was it the hot yoga or the the Bikram yoga that was brought to the center? So it it was Bikram yoga. It it wasn't hot uh, because we did it in our our little uh, gym at the center um, so it was the 26 postures, two breathing exercises, but we, we didn't have heat. We didn't have mirrors. What was your experience like taking that, that first class? I honestly wasn't a fan. Um, I, I just, it, and it wasn't even the, the yoga or the practice. It, it just felt like here I'm in this place where like everything that I'm forced to do, is something that i'm forced to do and i'm constantly being told like what i can and can't do and every single minute of every hour of every day is like pre-decided and controlled and and so the yoga honestly in the beginning just felt like another group that i had to attend um so i mean it was maybe better than like sitting in a chair being like yelled at or whatever but um yeah i i wasn't um I, I, I guess I felt indifferent. You know, it just felt like another box to check.
0: But obviously,
1: at some point that switched for you. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. We we had this teacher. His name was Teddy. We always called him sweaty with Teddy. Um, and he, he came out and he was super, super sweet. And I, I think that was one of the the things that really stood out to me in the beginning was this guy seems so happy and so content and peaceful and nice and cheery. Um, And as he consistently showed up that way, like week after week after week, I started to think, well, maybe this isn't all like a ruse and some type of act. Like maybe this guy really does feel this way all the time, and and so I remember he used to bring little t-shirts, little Pure Action t-shirts, um, and so one of the classes he gave me a t-shirt at the end, and he said it was for most improved in my in my yoga practice, and and I just I hadn't been acknowledged for something positive and years, like for as long as I could remember. Um, And so for some reason, like him giving me that little shirt for most improved, it just meant a lot to me, you know, and for some reason, that just made me like want to try, you know, so I remember after like, getting that t-shirt, like I I actually was excited to go to yoga because I wanted to try and see if I could improve more, you know, and and get more, you know, um, recognition for doing something positive. So That's super funny that you said that about the t-shirt, because
0: if there's one thing that I found to be universal at every yoga studio I've been to, it's that there's no bigger motivator than that free t-shirt for some reason.
1: That's good to know. I'm not, I'm not as crazy as I thought I was.
0: <laughs> yeah, people will do anything for that yoga t-shirt I found. I got sidetracked with the with the t-shirts. But I think that what you said about being recognized for something positive um, is a really powerful thing that shows up a lot in yoga. And it feels good just to be recognized for showing up on your mat and trying your best, whatever that looks like. So what was it that made you keep going back to the yoga
1: yeah, I, I mean, so let's see. So to backtrack, um, Pure Action used to give out these free months of yoga when we all graduated. So I, I got this free month of yoga and I, I don't know if this is instilled in like all addicts or alcoholics, but like we love free stuff, but I guess with the t-shirts, everyone does. So we're we're not all so different, but yeah. So I, I got this free month of yoga and so I, I Googled it and it was, you know, bus route distance from the sober living that I was in and I, I had like nothing else to do. Like that's one of the big things of early sobriety is like I, I had all this free time that I used to spend doing drugs and drinking that like I I didn't really know how to like expel that energy. So for some reason, I just decided to go and use this free month of yoga. And I think once I actually experienced it In the environment that like it's intended to be experienced in, in the hot room with the community and and the group energy and and the teacher and, you know, the mirrors and the heat and and all this stuff, um, something just clicked. And I never really had that like aha moment that I can remember. But I do remember that my actions kept saying that I wanted to keep practicing yoga because once my month was over, I think I did 18 days in, in the month. Um, So a little over half of the days in the month, I I went to yoga. And then when my month was over, I remember feeling super sad that I I couldn't afford it and I couldn't, you know, keep practicing. And so I started doing the work study program. So at some point during that month, like I was willing to come and like clean toilets and stuff to to keep practicing, you know, so I I can't tell you what exactly switched, but I know that like it, it was important enough to me to, to do these things, to, to keep practicing. That's awesome that you did
0: 18 days out of the 30, more than half. That's, that's very impressive, especially for the first month of practicing. Usually what I hear is people will go to one class and then maybe three or four months later, they'll try it again. But it sounds like it really spoke to you from the beginning.
1: Yeah, I can't even pinpoint why or how and i and i think that's the beauty of a yoga practice is like despite my mental state and where i was at in my life and despite you know maybe my motives or intentions for going like the practice worked in spite of me like something was working on me even though i didn't necessarily realize it um and and i i think that's the beauty of the practice is maybe you know day to day you you can't really feel anything happening or changing or you know it's it's hard to put your finger on it but over a period of time like all of these things that I did clearly showed you know that this practice was was really important to me
0: yeah it's kind of like there's this this force working on you and even if you don't want to go do your practice something tells you you have to go anyways and so you never regret going but it is always a struggle to maybe see the little, little things in it, but there is a big picture there. And I think that people who practice
1: definitely see that
0: or don't see it, but
1: feel it. Absolutely. I I think the feeling is, is really, you know, where it's at. Um, especially for someone in early sobriety, like, you know, we're a mess, um, just all, just all around mess. Um, and and so for me, like, I, I think one, having that very, um, I think the fact that it was such a physical practice was just good for me in the sense of like, I, I really felt like all of this like energy in motion and emotion that I had pent up inside of me and all this angst and, and whatever you want to call it, like it, it was a good physical outlet for me. But I, I also, especially the longer I practice yoga, um, I, I think that the mental piece is, is so huge. Um, it's it's just like things that seem so dire and, and so um, heavy. But before a yoga class, you know, afterwards, it's like I, I either have some clarity around the situation or like the situation just isn't, you know, as as dire as I thought it was. Yeah. Or my
0: favorite option three, you don't even remember what the situation you were so stressed out
1: about was once class is over. Exactly. It's like, man, we can make things so, so huge and, and so important and so um, daunting. And yeah, it's like, what, what was that thing that I cared about so much <laughs> earlier, you know, that ruins my whole week or whatever. Yeah, yeah totally. I, I wish I would have practiced it away days ago. Um, so
0: I know that there's, not a ton of research, but there is more research that I've seen about why yoga and rehab are such a powerful combination together. But I was wondering if you could speak a little bit on why you think so, Uh, maybe like the psychological ways or just anything that you've researched or heard or experienced about that.
1: So for me, personally, what I what I believe is, is that if we do think of addiction as that three part disease, the spiritual, the mental and the physical, then it almost like makes perfect sense that a a yoga practice in combination with a a program of recovery would work so well together because, you know, yoga is is the union of of mind, body and spirit. So it it almost it it just it I I don't see, um, you know, how it couldn't start to kind of work together, because if my my spirit is sick and my mind is sick and my body is sick, um than than a practice that helps to heal and and unify those parts of myself. Um, it, it just makes sense to me. like i I, I think um, it, it almost perfectly lines up with if we look at the blueprint of addiction, um, you know, like I, I start to feel more spiritually whole. Um, those fluctuations of my mind that keep telling me all these crazy things that aren't true, you know, those start to slow down a little bit, or or maybe I can start to see them for, for what they are, you know, just thoughts. Um, and, and then my my physical body is, is getting healthier and stronger as well. And, and I think I, I start to have a new respect for my physical body, which is something that I, I never, I, I mean, I was poisoning myself, like, daily, all all, minutely, if that's a word, all the time, you know. And um, I, I, for the first time in my life, I remember thinking like, well, what will I feel like in class tomorrow if I, you know, eat that or, you know, stay up late or, you know, whatever. And oh my God, I had never considered those things before.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because um, I just read earlier today that one of the Factors of alcoholism is that it causes this sort of dissociation from your body because You are putting something negative into your body, but There's no space in your head to be thinking about the repercussions of those actions, I guess Um, but obviously by nature yoga brings that awareness back to the body
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, I I don't know that I could say it any better myself, but Yeah, I I really um, I I had no Connection, um to my body, you know, except for discomfort. You know, I was highly attuned to when I felt uncomfortable and I felt like I needed to cure that discomfort with some type of external substance. Like I I felt very in tune to that. Um, But other than that, like the, you know, the seizures and the um, like countless like medical issues and and bruises from falling and broken toes and you know smashing my face into coffee tables, and like none of those things mattered um, but but I was highly aware of of when I needed more drugs but that that was really about it wow
0: well i 'm super happy that you found your way through yoga and and to being a teacher and I'm happy that I met you because you are such an amazing teacher and amazing person and I'm super grateful to have had this opportunity to talk to you and get all this information from you. And so on that note, let me ask you the final question. What is one thing that someone who is struggling with addiction can do on their yoga mat today to begin to use this practice of yoga as a tool for their recovery?
1: So I think if, if they're already on their yoga mat, you know, they've, they've already come a long way because that is, that is such a journey just to, to get to a place where like you would even consider trying something new and, and doing something different. But I, I think for me, the, the biggest advice or, or whatever you want to call it, I can give is, is just to notice, you know, like it's, it's so tricky to, to notice what you're experiencing without judging what you're experiencing. Um, and, and I think that happens to addicts and, and normal, you know, people alike is like, the, the mind doesn't stop just because we're practicing yoga, you know, you're still going to have thoughts of inadequacies and, and judgment and not being as good as the person next to you and not being as good as you were yesterday. And, and to one, like, just acknowledge like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling these ways, you know, and, and if you're really good, you know, you can start to laugh at yourself. I, I think that's like, the, the biggest gift that that both recovery and yoga have given me because both recovery and yoga can seem so serious um, and, and they are but like life is too serious to take so seriously and and I think yoga and recovery are, are the same way you know if, if you can laugh at yourself if you can notice like silly things that that you do that we all do um, and and even better yet, share like those, those noticings with other people like, Hey, I, I saw myself or I noticed myself thinking this today. And, and then they can say, Oh, my God, I did that yesterday. It's it's just a great way to not only like take away the power from those those negative things that we can think about ourselves, but also to use, you know, those potentially negative things as a, a way to connect to, to other people. Because that's I mean, the more I teach yoga, the more I realize that like, People in recovery or, or addicts—we're we're not that different from everyone else. Like everyone that comes into the studio is has something heavy, you know, that's that's going on with them, whether you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, everyone, normal people—they uh, they have hard times too. They have heavy things too. And and so the more we can just kind of make light of those things and, and connect to other people through those things, I, I think that's a beautiful thing.
0: Thank you so much, Monica, for sharing that and for taking the time to be here and sharing your story with us. Earlier, you briefly mentioned pure action. And so I
1: was hoping you could say a few quick words about pure action and what they do. So I I mentioned pure action, and it's actually a nonprofit that Pure Yoga Texas started. The owners of Pure Yoga Texas started in order to bring yoga to underserved communities, and and so that's actually how Sweaty Teddy came out and and taught me in treatment. And up until this March, when when things kind of changed, that's how I was able to actually complete the cycle and and go back and and teach in the same treatment center that that I went through. Um, and so I, I had actually been doing that for almost five years teaching in in the treatment centers. And so if, if you or, or anyone that you know, um, is, is struggling with with addiction, or just someone that that normally wouldn't be introduced to, to yoga, and you feel like they could benefit from it, um, pureaction, Pure pureaction.org is a, a great place to get more information.
0: And that concludes the first episode of the Yoga People podcast. I truly appreciate you being here and I will see you all around soon and happy yoga to all.